had a lot of fun uh, recording today's episode or this week's episode or yeah, I'm not doing this daily, but uh, weekly. Uh, my buddy uh, Jeremy Bohannon, he has a, a wonderful podcast called the PC Bombcast, and we talk about that throughout this episode. But uh, it was fun just to, as I'm sitting at home, uh, we're going through the uh, you know the pandemic right now, COVID nineteen, and it was just fun to just talk pop culture, learn a little bit about what really um, what started him and and his interest in pop folk, uh, pop culture can't even talk. Uh, this guy is an absolute encyclopedia. Movies, music, comic books, sports. Uh, we mainly talk about movies, but get into a little of all of those topics. And it was just a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. As always, want to thank my buddy, Dr. Mark Holland. Want to uh, thank Yoga Buzz. Want to thank Stephen Walden, who is uh, an amazing artist and just a fantastic pop culture aficionado. And Stephen has created uh, just many great works of art in the uh, realm of pop culture and sports. And I am going to have to connect him with Jeremy. Uh, We talked about our buddy uh, Jim Oosley, and uh, he's coming out with some new comic books and has a Kickstarter uh, for his series with Ben Sawyer called The Butcher Queen. And just a fantastic friend, a great guy. You can find him on, I think it was like episode four or five of Conversations with Calcaterra, which you are listening to. Uh, You can go to my website, kencalcaterra.com, sign up for the mailing list. I have to say I haven't really put out any, uh, put out the mailing list. I'm going to have to get on that. But uh, that's just one of those things that uh, I'll maybe have a little bit of time to do once I finish some of these other little projects and getting organized. It's just uh, amazing how, you know, it takes uh, something like this to really get us focused to organize our spaces and get cleaned up and take care of all those projects that have been on the plate. So enough from me. want to get back into the, uh, back into, we haven't got into the conversation yet, but want to jump into the conversation with the uh, main host of the PC Bombcast. Check the show description. Check my social media. I'll have links. My uh, my good friend, Jeremy Bohannon. Mr. Bohannon, J-Bo. Does, does anybody call you J-Bo? You know, I've gotten J-Bo. I've gotten Bo. Bo and is the most common vernacular on the last name. But yeah, I've got it all using the Bo. Nice. Well, good. Well, we'll go with that in the future. But uh, yeah, good to talk with you, buddy. It's been a little while. Yeah, yeah, you too. And by the way, just uh, I want to tell you my all-time favorite, and I got a feeling we're going to jump into this at some point. Yeah. But my favorite nickname that I gave myself, and if you ever try to find me on video games, you can on PS4, you can find it, is Bo Nuff. B-O-N-U-F-F. <laughs> and wherever I live, I'm the show Nuff of St. Peter's currently. So. <laughs> That is fantastic. So how is everything going in the uh, world of uh, PC Bombcast? Would you call your your studio space, do you call that the bomb shelter? You know, that would, that would that, I wish I would have thought of it. That would be the best name. We call it Studio Bohagen, which is a combination of my last name and my wife's maiden name. Because our, our house has always been a variation of a state Bohagen or compound Bohagen. But, uh, so I just call it Studio Bohagen, but... In retrospect, and I may steal it moving forward, the bomb shelter is a much better name. It's all yours. Take it, take it, and have <laughs> have fun with it. Roll with it. <laughs> well, it's nice. I appreciate the times you've had me over. It's been great talking with yourself and your co-host. 
So uh, here's a chance to return the favor. But uh, I, I know you should put it out. You've been putting out the quarantine editions. Uh, yeah, how, the pandemic session. Oh, the pandemic. I, oh, man, man, I'm just too much media that I, I'm looking at right now. I just like it's totally easy to get lost right now on that one. So, yeah, no, that's much better name. The pandemic sessions. And, uh, you know, what, um, I mean, clearly you're, you're one of my go-to choices for podcast about pop culture. You guys do such a great job. So I guess, well, why not start with what pop culture you are, um, you're absorbing here during this pandemic and, you know, how you're getting through. Well, when it first started, um, I, for first off, I guess I should say, uh, what I do for a living, my day job is I'm a manufacturer rep. I'll leave the company nameless, but we, I'm a salesman essentially. And I'm lucky enough to be considered essential. So, but that said, when, when it started, we're supposed to stay home. When it started, not my company didn't really know how we were going to go about our day-to-day business. So I spent that first week and a half to two weeks consuming as much pop culture as I could because I was bored. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, we've now kind of got to hang on it via Zoom meetings, via online webinars. I've really been doing working harder now the last week than I had maybe the previous four or five months. But that said, it has got me a chance. Of course, I've taken a deep dive into like Netflix and and Tiger King like the rest of the world. But I've also been the one thing our daughter's I've got two daughters, uh, 14 and nine, and they've really allowed my wife and I to hold their hands and take them a journey through some classic films. Um, we talked about it on my podcast, but uh, maybe maybe one of the most proud dad moments of my life, we had a clue clue night. I showed them, it, I had to track down the original board game, nice. which is not easy anymore. Nice. And we, we, we'd learned the board game, and then we watched one of my all-time favorite movies, Clue the Movie with Tim Curry. I, I mean, literally a who's who of comedy at the time. Absolutely. I remember watching that when I was a kid. I have not seen it in a while. I know my sister showed my niece and nephew. So as I don't have kids at this point, I get to show them all the cool movies that I loved in the past. Uh, So apparently they enjoyed Clue, but uh, I have not seen it in God knows how many years. Well, and I had to explain to my kids, too, how it was a regional release in terms of the ending. Depending on where you saw the film, you saw a different ending. And it wasn't until the VHS came out that all of the endings were put together. Uh, You know, I saw it on VHS at the time, so I didn't realize that that was a regional ending. That is that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, and my, my, my youngest daughter, she really, she she made, again, proud dad moment. She told me a couple of days later, she goes, Dad, you know that, that Clue movie? I said, yeah. And she goes, that might be my favorite movie because of the way it ends. And I go, I almost cried. I mean, <laughs> as a guy that's owned a comic book store and a guy that runs a pop culture podcast, I mean, that maybe as a nine-year-old who does TikTok for a living, I mean, come on loving clue the movie is her favorite movie ever is the best thing that's parenting win right there absolutely you've done well my friend uh looking at um well speaking of comic book movies so you you just mentioned a, a comic book store so i mean that's mm-hmm. that's like a comic book store is the mecca of pop culture um at one point did you uh did you own the store was that in the st louis area or was that elsewhere well it was yeah it was uh st peter's cottleville i guess uh, I guess in order to tell that story, you got to track back a little ways. I grew up and went to college in Joplin, Missouri, which is was the home of a little company called Book Barn, which turned into Vintage Stock, which turned into V Stock, which are around the St. Louis metro area has a handful of V Stocks, which is uh, they weren't here at the time. So I started with them in Springfield, 
was a store, uh, worked my way from the comic guy to a store manager, went up to Kansas City to be the manager of a bunch. And then I had a partner that said, hey, why don't you stop doing this for them? Why don't you come with me and let's move to St. Louis and let's get a head start. So essentially what we were is we were kind of like a slackers, but we also did sports stuff too. So we were a combination of a slackers versus in, in, a, uh, in a sports card store. And we originally opened in, God, I guess it's been almost 14 years now, 13 years. We originally opened in Cottleville and we had a great looking store, but every time it rained, it would flood our stand up arcades. Oh, that's horrible. So, so we had to sue our, our, our landlord and we didn't, and we won, but we didn't win anything. All we won was the ability to break the lease at, at a determined uh, uh, payoff. So we moved over by the mid rivers mall which was a great location smaller store great location business really started picking up and then in 07 the economy crashed and hobbies were kind of the first thing to go so we had a three-year lifespan and we probably would have survived had we moved into that location first gotcha Uh, yeah because the money it cost us to relocate and white box and carpet and all that stuff that was all the money that should have got us through the lean times but the lean times lasted a while, so we ended up closing. But I think all in, uh, between being a comic book guy and a store manager and a store owner, for nine years I was a, I essentially ran a comic book store, which is in in certain communities the barber shop is the home for all the town gossip. Uh, the comic book store is that for pop culture. That's where everybody goes to talk about movies, and even we had music. We sold new music and stuff too, and vinyl. So you had it all. I mean, you anything that was entertainment based could be talked about in my store. And I had regular customers. I had I had anywhere from uh, you know thirteen year olds to twenty two year olds that were there almost daily, literally just to hang out and talk about things all day. That's fantastic. So is that is that kind of the start when you uh, you started chatting about? pop culture and and then that you've carried that experience over to the uh, to the podcast well I, I think if you were to chat or if you were to track what drove me to pop culture was i i grew up in a very small small uh farming town charleston missouri in southeast missouri um near sykeston which is the largest claim to fame the two largest claim to fame is uh meth and lamberts so <laughs> and out, I lived kind of out of town on, on a large swath of land. And I had some friends that I was in a good bike ride away, but you know, you didn't, I had a mom that was always bartending at night. So I was by myself and we didn't have satellite, but when cable moved into our town, and this is a weird story. So when cable moved into our town, we got cable and you, for the introductory period, you got all the channels. Oh yeah. Free. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a bad storm in which a tree fell on our house and hit the corner of our house right above where the TV was. So we had to get the roof fixed and, and the cable re-ran and all that stuff. So when they fixed it, they just the cable company had to come out and rerun cable back. They just never turned it off. So here was a <laughs> 9 to 10-year-old boy with access to Cinemax, Showtime, HBO, the movie channel, and literally no adult supervision. Um, and, and I shouldn't stop there. I mean, it wasn't just those. It was USA with Rhonda up all night. Oh, and yeah. I mean, it was it was everything. So from, I passed the time by watching every B movie. And and then we had family members that owned a movie store, the only movie store in a small town called East Prairie, which was closer than Charleston, but I, I still went to Charleston. Um, so I would just go there and grab whatever VHS. I mean, I literally... It probably was a good month or two of walking through the horror section, picking out movies. And then I finally was like, you know what? 
these bright ass red lips have been staring at me for so long. So I believe I was probably 10 when I checked out Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. And it was just because I tried ignoring the lips forever. And then I was like, okay, I don't have any other options. I'm going to get that movie. I didn't know what it was. And I watched it. And at 11, I probably still didn't know what it was. But that's how my days were spent, whether it was summer, winter, rain, shine. And all of that compounded with the fact that I was a, a my, I had an aunt that worked for 7-Eleven. And so people don't know this, but newsstand edition of comic books, when you would get comp, when you sold comic books on newsstand, which uh, comic books used to be two ways they were sold primarily was newsstand and direct market and direct market was your comic book store. So you usually got a little bit better quality paper. You get a different cover or maybe a rarer edition. Mm -hmm. And the newsstand was just a plain old newspaper print with the, with the, you know, with the gloss overlay staple. Yeah, the easy, spinner easy rack, enough. right? Spinner rack. Yeah, and the spinner the rack. Oh, I love the spinner rack. rack. Yeah. Yeah. So she worked for 7-Eleven. So for comic books, at the end of one month, they take those comics and they have to tear the covers off and shred the comics and send them back for credit. So instead of doing that, or, I mean, she would just tear the covers off and she'd just send me the comics or give me the comics. Uh -huh. So I was getting comics all the time from like seven, eight on. And between having no access to civilization living in the country, having infinite access to movie channels, uh, back when they were the coolest, when seeing the HBO scroll come over the, you know, the thing, that was the coolest thing yeah, in the world. And, the, and, and then movie. that music, that HBO, and I, I think they still, no, they, they have different music now, but yeah, I, I remember that back in the day as well. I remember. Yeah, and you, you, you traveled through the HBO like a laser light, like you, you journey yeah. through it as the music hit. Not, I mean, that, got, that still gets me going to this day. Yeah, yeah. When I first saw Escape from New York, it was on HBO, and just hearing that, that chime or that uh, jingle or whatever you want to call it uh, before the movie. I mean, that just meant something to me. It's just, and, I, I can't picture it right now, but uh, as a kid, yeah, I mean, I can feel it as we talk about it. And and great movie to bring up, by the way, filmed in St. Louis. Yeah, there was a lot of filming in St. Yeah, Louis. I watched, it, I watched it recently and uh, I, I don't know, I, I feel it It didn't, what was in my head was so different. It, it didn't hold up as well for me. Now, Big Trouble in Little China did. and, uh, and Oh, it's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's classic. And The Thing, The Thing still holds up. And that's been a few years since since I saw it. I think it was right before the prequel came out. I did a rewatching of the original thing, and it's still up. still such Holds a great up. movie. Yeah, so it, yeah, I mean, you of course a person could step back and pick apart the special effects, but you have to realize the puppeteering in that movie and, and the special effects in that movie, the plastics and and uh, all of that that was unbelievable for the time, and that was as scary as a movie got. Oh yeah, yeah, that was incredible, and the um. The the prequel wasn't as bad, but it essentially was ultimately the same movie with different characters and upgraded special effects. Um, yeah, I, I always... So when that came out, I had a real hard time buying into it as a sequel. I, I you know, And I don't know this, and I've never read anything on it, but I would almost be hard-pressed to not believe that it was probably intended and pitched as a reimagining or a remake, and then they threw that whole the end just to tie it to the other one because you're right that is almost a beat for beat same movie yeah yeah and i i saw that at the dollar show with jim oosley so. oh that's like yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. And i think you helped turn me on to those guys that's a mutual friend of ours now absolutely yeah i see uh i see that you had them on and listened to the show him and ben sawyer 
fantastic. You know, it was a great interaction between you guys. They're doing cool things. They have their new <laughs> Kickstarter out for the uh, Butcher Queen. Yeah, for the, the dead. The Butcher Queen for their for the second edition of that or the the uh, I second it. series. I'm not. I'm not going to brag on people, but I backed it at a high level so I could get myself drawn with lines in one of the four. Hey, let's hope all four issues. This is very cool. I saw that you had backed it, and I see a lot of other people are too that I know, and it's amazing. I, I had the little cameo, no lines, but in in the first rendition, um, I had the uh, first season. I'm thinking more television, but yeah, the, I had uh, just a cameo where I was drawn in there, and that was that was That's really awesome. cool. Yeah, ben, ben and Jim are great guys. A good good representation of local talent for comic books here in St. Louis. Oh heck yeah, and they're just and, and it's great that they're able to they're getting national recognition. So it's really cool to see with the technology what you can do. So, and Jim's has done great things over the years. Have you ever read, uh, did you, did you read the script or did he tell you about the blood fest club, uh, a project? No. Oh, they, so him and uh, a guy named, um, Oscar Madrid, they wrote uh, a feature film and then, and then put a short together called, uh, the blood fest club. And so, uh, I had did a behind the scenes video, which I think it's on my YouTube. I'll have to send you a link, but, uh, they put a short together, to I guess get interest in the feature had an option on the feature and I don't know what what happened to that um, but you know like many projects you get it out there and uh, it's so difficult for things to get made and uh, it just you know I don't know if it fell off the wayside if it's still in development or what but just an amazing script and fits in those uh, B movie styles that we that we were talking about earlier it's, it's a lot yeah. of fun a lot of fun you have to next time you talk to him see if uh, if he still has a copy that he can let you read I, I loved it yeah I will check it out and you're right man it, it it's it's weird because we're at this odd time in 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 pop culture and in creativity that where it's the easiest it's ever been to make something, but it's still in godly hard to get something made. You know, I mean, you there's now, I mean, it used to be you had a handful of people doing their best to make things. Now you have hundreds of million people trying to make things, mm-hmm. so which has kind of muddied it up and makes it even harder to get something funded and to get something, you know, national, God forbid, worldwide release. I mean, it's... You, there's technology has advanced so much. Well, it's, it's why, you know, back to your original question about the with podcasting, it's why we have podcasts. And, you know, making things is easy, but, man, getting discovered is even harder now because the, the ocean is deep, full of people. That's a good analogy, yeah. And there's just um, – there's a lot of great things out there. You know, there's a bit of clutter. Uh, it's great that everyone is able to – has the technology to use their voice – but like anything, you just need, uh, whether it's a publicist or whatever the machine is to get, if, if you're looking for some kind of national recognition or something to something to really explode, I mean, I, I bet you would love for the podcast to be your only thing and be making enough money on that to just focus on, on what you're doing and chatting about pop culture. Yeah. But, sadly, uh, the rest of America and the world has not caught on to how great I am. And you are you, my friend, are fabulous. It, uh, I definitely your energy. I'm glad, you, I'm glad I had that hook band. Well, you thought that I was fishing for a compliment there. Yeah, no, no, you're. I, I wouldn't be talking to you if I if I didn't feel so because uh, you know it takes time to, to put this podcast together. But I just love your energy and your enthusiasm for 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 just the the media that that you're consuming and just you know, a lot of cool things. 
Um, you know, I, I guess I'm less, I'm, I'm more on the serious side nowadays. So I still enjoy <laughs> talking about the pop culture, but I guess I get into the whys or dig a little bit deeper, but, um, you know, you know, that's me, but, uh, I, I want to go to, so speaking of remakes on my, on my last or, uh, reboots, I guess is the proper term. I was uh, on the last podcast. I was talking to a buddy of mine in, in New York, uh, named Craig Nobbs. And we were talking about reboots. And one question that I had, I threw out was, what movie or movies, you can you can come up with a few, uh, do you think should never be remade? Is there any, like, in your in that catalog in your head or something that you've looked at that you think, oh, don't remake this ever. It'll, you, it'll be you, horrible. You, you already started with one while ago, A Big Trouble in Little China. Don't touch it. <laughs> I know, it's a great it. movie. It's um, perfect. Um Adventures for Buckaroo Banzai. Don't remake that. Oh, if you're going to do that, I maybe that. do a series, but don't do another movie because Peter Weller and John yeah. Lithgow and that movie and Jeff Goldblum before he was all Goldblumy. I mean, just that's a, right. He was. I loved that as a kid, and that's a movie that I've forgotten about and I haven't it, seen in a while. And that's a super young and as hot as it comes. Ellen Barkin before she was uh, Pacino's wife, uh, or no, it wasn't her. Yeah, she did get with Pacino before Angeli or before. Uh, uh, Gosh, what's her name? I can't think of her name now. The uh, the wife from uh, the Nat Lampoon movies. She's his current wife. But oh, her, uh, Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly, yeah, before Beverly. Ellen Barkin was as hot as it gets in, in Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, yeah. And there's, well, there was one. What was the one recently that the internet just, oh, Princess Bride. They talked about remaking that, and the inter internet oh. just collectively took a shit on that idea. That's a sh yeah, that is a shitty idea. I mean, that is, if we look at perfect films, uh, that is as near to it as as you can get, you know. Mandy yeah. uh, Potankin. I mean, I'm I'm killing, I'm doing horrible on names today. But uh, Andre the Giant, uh, mm -hmm. Carrie Yules was just amazing in that. Uh, it's yeah, that's Robin Wright. Uh, that is such Billy, a great movie. Billy Crystal. Billy yeah. Crystal. Yeah, Billy Crystal is great. Uh, and you know another one. You talk about perfect films, and I don't know the films. The films not without its kookiness. But talking about perfect scripts, it doesn't. Hollywood doesn't care. Look at Karate Kid; they remade that, and that movie was a great three act, beat for beat, yeah. perfect film. And they remade it, and they thought, well, if we put Jackie Chan, it'll be success. And fortunately, you put Jaden Smith in it also. But just a bad idea. I mean, they have. There's a lot of movies I think should never be remade, um, but they're gonna remake them because we if if comic book movies have taught us nothing that Hollywood is completely out of original ideas. And I don't mean the, I mean, Hollywood, I mean, big budget Hollywood, they're mm -hmm. out of ideas. Yeah. And there, and there's so many great ideas out there. Once again, going back to the Bloodfest club, I mean, an original idea, fun, new character, uh, just, uh, just, just go great idea. The short w was, was wonderful. Jimmy Jimmy Usley was just great in that. He plays this character named Sonny, and uh, I'm I'm sure he he will show you the short. And it was just great. A lot of friends of mine were were working on that. I just you know I helped him with location and uh, was uh, doing a uh, graduate school at the time. So I figured you know why not uh, make a little behind the scenes documentary. And so that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, you have these great ideas out there, but. Uh, it's just to get it funded because it's a safe bet. Generally, if you throw the name Karate Kid on something, then people are going to say, well, I'm going to check this out, whether it's good, bad or whatever. 
you have that name recognition, you have that brand. And in that case, I've never, I never seen the, uh, the reboot with Jackie Chan. I love Jackie Chan, but just as far as an iconic movie and Pat Morita, wow, forget about it. Oh I mean, yeah. That, we we so talked, uh, good. You, you, uh, you brought up earlier where a little bit, we talked about ninja movies and B movies. And of course, I mean, if you, if you follow me on Facebook, if you just look for my name on Facebook, randomly, I'll do my top 10 something, but it's never top 10 greatest movies. It's always, Top 10, like my most recent was uh, B-movie, or, or no, I'm sorry, 80s karate movies. Now, I had to fall in the 80s, and it had to be, karate's a broad term. But yeah, I, I showed arts, Jackie Chan. Yeah, Marsh, yeah. yeah, I showed yeah. Jackie, and, I, and that, you're right, it's martial arts, but I called them karate because that's what they were in the end. Just, uh, uh, just a great a great guy, and it was, and I could see on concept where they thought, if we remake this, he's the only guy we can get, and they were probably right. I'm going to have you go back to that. We had a little bit of a dropout. Um so just going back, what, what what was it? The great guy? What what? Uh, yeah, I don't know what's oh, going on no, with the I, internet. Yeah, I was saying, if sure he was a great choice for the role to remake it with Jackie oh, Chan because okay. he's amazing. Gotcha. And I could see on paper they were like, this is the only way we could do it. But they should have stayed away from it. And I, and I've got one for you. Speaking of uh, how much pop culture we've consumed over the last few weeks during this lockdown, um, I was always I, I I bought the bootleg of it years ago, but the notorious Roger Corman. Uh, Fantastic Four movie. And for those that don't know, Roger <laughs> Corman and Troma Films made a, a Fantastic Four. Uh, I think it was called Star Starlight or something. I can't remember the name of the studio. Had the rights, and in order to maintain the rights, you have to make a film so, so often. They gave essentially Troma, which had never spent this. And if you don't know what Troma is, they made uh, Toxic Avenger, um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Um, they even made a... Uh, um, Trey Parker film Cannibal the movie oh or the musical, yeah yeah Cannibal, yeah. The Cannibal the musical yeah and that's where James Gunn he had his start in Troma with yeah uh, uh, and don't get me wrong Troma's awesome but they were given a million and a half dollars which was three times <laughs> bigger than any budget yeah. they've ever had yeah. but certainly not big enough to make a superhero film uh, but the Amazon Prime has a great documentary on it because no one that was making the film or starring in the film had any idea that the film was never intended to be released. It was only intended to be made just to keep the rights. And I watched it and it is truly hokey because <laughs> they only had a million and a half. But I tell you, the story at the heart of it isn't bad. And it's arguably the best Fantastic Four film made so far. <laughs> Whoa, really? That's uh, hot off the presses. Here we go. That's breaking news. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have yet to see the original. Uh, I remember back in the day reading movie magazines and sci-fi magazines and seeing everything they were talking about that film. You know, that was in the, you know, the talk in the comic shops back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, it never was released, so never saw it and really haven't dug it up. I saw the original Captain America uh, back in the day the but motorcycle yeah. driving captain yeah, America. Yeah, yeah yeah that was pretty hokey that was as 70s well. that was the, well yeah. this one was 90s oh that so, was 90s i was thinking it was 80s but okay that was no, 90s. Yeah. all right and you would have thought there was a chance but like again clearly everyone on the outside knew it wasn't it's it's a very interesting documentary because they have every people in the crew people in the movie um it was uh it, it's it's fun to watch. They and it's also fun too because even at that point in the early '90s, Stan Lee goes up in Comic Con and says that he's not excited about it because it's the last film that will be made without Marvel Studios being a part of it. Which we know that wasn't true, but even Marvel then was angling to start making their own movies. And uh, but yeah, it's worth you. You as a filmmaker should check it out because 
you know, they make some interesting choices on their shoestring budget to try to make a big budget movie. And it, it's worth watching. All right. I'm going to dig that one up. Uh, let's go back to the 80s uh, martial arts movies, your top 10. I enjoyed interacting with you on Facebook. And to all those listening out there, definitely Jeremy's a, a great guy that throws out just a lot of a lot of cool topics and yeah it's fun to interact so you're doing great things but uh i enjoyed interacting with you on those martial arts movies let's talk a little bit about those because though i would rent all of those from the video store and i loved loved going to the video store still love going to the library and uh there are a few family videos out there although those are kind of starting to become extinct but I still love that experience of the video store. But just oh, and there's, yeah, there's nothing like going to the video store now compared to them because then you had that painted VHS cover art, and it's so different than what they do today. And man, that was the part of the. I'd go to the movie store without an idea of what I was going to rent. Yeah, yeah. Just to look at whatever cover popped for me. I mean, it was like Absolutely. choosing a bottle of wine. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll buy wine based on the label, and sometimes you're you just as those movies. Yeah, you're disappointed other times. It's like, whoa, that is amazing. And um, some of those ninja movies, you, you know, I remember the first one I saw, I think the first one out of all those was Enter the Ninja, of mm-hmm. course, where it had the uh, the American ninja and, um, you know, with, with the white, you know, he wore the white. And then you had uh, Shoku, was it Kozuki? Is that, am I saying that right? He he was the the the, the antagonist in that one. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, heck, you're, you're pronouncing it as good as I would pronounce it. But yeah, <laughs> that was the ninja. That was Canon's ninja trilogy too. Which was they were a ninja trilogy, and there was no connection to any of the films. Like there was not a through line. There was the only through line was that they involved ninjas. That yeah. was it. Yeah, and Sho Kozuki, because then he, uh, in Revenge of the Ninja, of course, he's the protagonist, and. Uh, you know, it was one of those storylines, what, like his family gets killed and then he has to take mm-hmm. revenge on, you know, whatever the um, the crime syndicate is. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was, or maybe I saw Enter, no, I saw Enter the Ninja and then I think maybe Revenge of the Ninja might have had a small theatrical run. For some reason, oh, I, I, I remember seeing that in the theater. I saw Ninja 3, The Domination, in the theater, <laughs> which is the last one, and possibly the most outrageous of all three of them. Absolutely, yeah. That That's one that stands out in my mind the most because it was so outrageous with, with the whole occult and demon and and all that. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. No real bad guy except for a ghost. In fact, uh, my favorite part of the whole movie, and I think I made reference to it in my list, is – the, the girl that gets possessed by the ninja, as far as everyone in the police department in the city knows, is this woman's just going around murdering people. And then by the end of it, I guess they just all assume that Al's forgiven because it was a ghost. You know? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> those happen all the time. Yeah, it was, uh, that was crazy. What are some of the other ones that were on that list? Jog my memory. Well, you started, you started with uh, one that dominated uh, my movie quoting all through high school because I actually I, – I, when, when I got in high school, I, I moved from small-town Charleston, Missouri to small-town small Lamar, Missouri, and I had a bunch of guys that didn't know about all these movies, so I was turning them on. So the first one that I think I posted was uh, Best of the Best. Oh, I with, love that movie. With uh, Julia Roberts' big brother, Eric Roberts, James Earl Jones, of all people. Yeah, Chris he, Penn was in it. Chris Penn, Pre- that's right. Yeah, famous be- Chris Penn. 
That's right. Before, yeah, well before Reservoir Dogs. I, I at, yeah. the, at the time, I was practicing Taekwondo, and so I loved watching that movie, and it would just get me jazzed, and I'd be watching it in the basement and probably kicking over lamps and things like that. But, yeah, that movie. Uh, we it, would scream, Tommy, no! And then it's a reference to Eric Roberts' character telling uh, the, the uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but telling the clearly the main fighter in the movie, not to use what I like to call a sweet chin music, which is Shawn Michaels pro wrestling super kick okay. to kill the main guy at yeah. the end. And he's just screaming, Tommy, no. So, <laughs> and it's only the only kind of up close take that a B movie could give you. And I don't even remember if that was supposed to be a B movie when it was released. I got a feeling that they thought it was going to be big, but it certainly, it, it was, it's, it's, I, I can tell you this right now. It's hands down the greatest martial arts film about a non-Olympic Olympic event between USA and Korea. There's no disputing that. Yeah. And they had the chariots of fire running scene where they all, yeah. they were wearing, I, I think it was like wrestling shoes or, and so at that point I was like, ah, I've got to get wrestling shoes. It's so awesome. <laughs> and I, I don't even know how you, I mean, there's like no souls in those. I don't know how you you run, but uh, they look super cool. And you was inadvertently like, you inadvertently called out my second one a while ago when you just when you were talking about the villain of the Canon Films movies, but American Ninja was uh, one of one of one on the list as well. Uh, yeah, that was a Michael Dudikoff. That's it, Michael Dudikoff, <laughs> uh, uh, who was uh, uh, among the myriad of eighty stars that really burned bright and faded fast. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's fun to uh, when I'm watching flicks nowadays. I'm showing my nephew. I'll I'll go and look and at, at the stars who are in it. We watched Can't Buy Me Love the other night, which is just a great the, the original you know, Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey, yeah. Did they remake that when you say the original? They yeah, they remade it called Love Don't Cost a Thing with Nick Cannon as the titular character of the film. Oh, I had no idea. I mean, uh, I don't know if you can touch the uh, Can't Buy Me Love. It's such a good no. movie, but. Uh, I may have to avoid the Nick Cannon version, you, but uh, you, you have to. And I apologize. I know we both curse, drop the drop the the poop bomb while ago, but I am going to get a little crass because one of my oh, favorite that's right. lines. Go for it. One of my favorite lines in that movie is when he loses his virginity into the car. And if you don't know what the movie's about, he ends up buying a suede dress for the most popular girl in school which is like a $3,000 dress with back then in the eighties had to be like, I mean, today that's like a $10,000 dress. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so she agrees to act like she's dating him for a certain amount of time, which propels him to super popularity and really a much hotter girl takes his virginity. But the line is in the car, she unbuttons her shirt and shows him her chest. And she says, there's only one other titty quite this pretty. And it's this one. And she pulls out her other chest. <laughs> I was like, that is the 80s in one line, one movie's in right there. Absolutely. And then looking at uh, those casts, you had his friend, uh, Kenneth, was Courtney Gaines, who started out as Malachi and Children of oh, the Corn. Yeah. And then looking at him, it's amazing all the B-movies he's done, because I was like, Courtney Gaines, hey, that might be somebody, you know, I, I love those 80s movies. He was in a lot of them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to him on a podcast. And so I'm looking, and he that guy's in like a ton of movies who I've what I've never I've never heard of. Was but he a lot in of the these burbs, or was it just he the guy was that he like was him? in the burbs? Yeah, he was yeah. one of the the bad guy family or the the neighbor. The Absolutely, bad yeah. He was like he, he barely had any lines. He was very awkward. Had yeah, this his character like, didn't scraggly talk beard, really. Yeah, and they were all German. Hans, I think his I think his character's name was Hans. Oh yeah, of course he was German. He was a former Nazi. 
uh, still performing experience and burning people's bodies. That's what his his hook was. Yeah, yeah, that's another great flick of the. I mean, so many great movies in the eighties, and maybe it's um, just at the time being young and impressionable, watching all those, and it's just it was just amazing, an amazing time for me. I do feel like that there is a lost segment of film that is the big actor movie in a low budget comedy that's not there anymore they don't do it there's independent comedies and there's certainly some amazing ones of those out there but like tom hanks was certainly at that point established he wasn't the oscar multiple oscar winning tom Mm -hmm. hanks yet but he was a marketable star and and even with some of these martial arts movies yeah you still get some cheesy movies that go direct to cinemax or showtime or what have you but for us growing up those used to hit the theater for maybe a weekend, maybe mm-hmm. two. Yeah, yeah. Are the are the cheap theater at least would get them, and, you know. And th- I think that's a lost segment. And I, and I gotta, I gotta think. And I know we, I, I made the the really backhanded. Uh, well, it wasn't backhanded. It was a straight forearm comment to about Hollywood <laughs> being out of ideas. Yeah. I think one of the reasons Hollywood might be out of ideas is because those aren't allowed to be made anymore. And I think that really that really hampers creativity because. You should be allowed to be as cheesy as you want because, I mean, for God's sakes, I mentioned Buckaroo Banzai, which may be one of the most cheesy, weird movies ever made, but I'd watch that damn thing three times a week if I could. Yeah, I, I think I did watch it three times a week back yeah. when it came came out, when we had it on VHS or Beta even. And uh, oh, I, yeah. I just remember wearing that thing out. It was, yeah, so good. And Peter Weller. And and it's it's amazing. So when we talk about looking at IMDb, you know, you have this time where all these actors are are, are in a lot of things. And uh, Courtney Gaines, you know, being a supporting actor, a character actor. And then Peter Weller at the time, you had RoboCop. And uh, there was a movie. Did you ever see a movie called Firstborn? Firstborn, uh, was Weller in it? It was Peter Weller, and he played, so it was about this kid, uh, so him and his little brother, the little brother I think was Corey Haim, and his mom dates this guy who turns out to be a drug dealer, and yes. it, that was Peter Weller. And then I, I think the, remember that. the kid had a dirt bike or something. And, I said, and The dirt bike was what I was about to bring up. Yeah, that I had forgotten it, but man, Corey Haim, you know, another guy in the 80s that unfortunately, tragically, had survived the 80s. Um, oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's awesome. Peter Weller, by the way, as you you brought up talking about Hollywood dropping the ball in remakes, you I would argue that there's not a better overall made film that doesn't that put on any false pretenses whatsoever than RoboCop. The name of the movie tells you everything you need to know about the movie. It's a robot cop. Yeah, yeah. The the acting is over-the-top spectacular the special effects were stupendously awful for at the time and it's it, it i mean it the, from the very beginning of the film to the end there's not a wasted moment in that film it is fantastic it's and they remade it into one of the biggest pieces of poop i've ever seen <laughs> i you know i think i may have seen it but i don't remember the the remake of that um which is which is good but who was in it who was in the remake God, I don't even know. I I could I probably got 30 40 minutes into it each uh, the twice I watched it total. Yeah. And, qu- and, and couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. That bad. Wow. Wow. And then uh and then looking at well here here's another case of uh, a, maybe a remake, but uh one movie that was horrible, the original was Judge Dredd. And then uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Sylvester Stallone version. Yeah, that was bad. But then I they like it. 
It, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so it's, it's campy, but uh, I, I don't remember it. It isn't something I'll probably watch again right away. There's others. But then the remake of that or the next edition the that Carl came Urban out one. Oh, was so good. Yeah, I've watched that dark. movie probably 12 times. Yeah. I mean, sadly, I probably watched the original Judge Dredd about 20 times. <laughs> yeah. But for, for different reasons, the Carl Urban one deserves a sequel. That movie was spectacular. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just so well done. It really, really created that world and, as viewers, brought us into that world. So, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was a good one there. Um, yeah, Bloodsport, going back to martial arts, I, that was on your list as well. And that oh, was, yeah, that's, that's the first major Van Damme movie. Yeah. And Bolo Young, um, uh, uh, Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds in it. I mean, that, that oh. oh, and uh, Forrest Whitaker. He was one of the, the cops trying to track down uh, Van Damme and get him back to the CIA. See, I, it's been so long since I've seen it. I probably watched it a hundred times back then, and uh, I just don't remember it as well. I mean, I remember certain scenes. A training scene was was great when the guy had him in that uh, in that device and he does the split. Oh, and yeah. you're like, when he Van Dams it up, the yeah. most Van Dammy you get. <laughs> exactly. And you're looking at it like, yeah, you know, how are you going to... And he's training the next day or whatnot, or however much time goes by in the montage. But you're and like, that's whoa. My, that's my favorite one that I put on the list in, in pertaining to the list for this reason alone. And this is a... And I even brought it up in my description of the film. I, in, in my list, I, I in my list, I always do like... I don't go crazy spoiling. I do spoil some because it's it's just impossible to avoid. But I, so for those that don't know, Frank's Frank Dukes, who the true story of Bloodsport's based on, is almost ninety five percent full of shit. It's all fake. He did not <laughs> ever have the world record for fastest kick. There was no such thing as a kumite. Well, I mean, I'm sure there were throughout history, but not the way they portray it in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot that he never doesn't have a congressional medal of honor he has no military accolades whatsoever in fact (laughs) if he was in the military it's debatable and the reason i bring that up and why that was my favorite part of my list is because i have a very good person who i have a lot of respect for i met her in college uh super we worked at walmart together great person she's a teacher so she's a good person uh or at least uh, you know she she does a, a a noble thing um she's into taekwondo now in her life and she sent me a message saying yeah that i I get i get what you're saying about the movie but my martial arts instructor used to watch videos about the real frank dude that guy's real and so i want to say this on here and she won't listen i'm sure because she doesn't listen to my podcast (laughs) Um, but her martial arts instructor is telling her a lie or he may not even know it's a lie he may he may believe that he watched those videos and there may even be videos of Frank Dukes being interviewed or maybe throwing a kick or two, but none of the stuff that Van Damme does in the movie, Frank Dukes in real life could do. He, none of it. He was, he was a charlatan is what he was. And, <laughs> and I tell her, I go, yeah, I go, I get what you're, I go, I appreciate it. I go, and your martial arts instructor probably means, well, I go, but Frank Dukes is a liar. And that's pretty, I mean, you can see that. And she goes, well, I'm not saying he's a liar or not. But the guy's physical ability in martial arts, it was legitimate. And I go, okay, and I let it go. <laughs> but I'm here to say now, no, it wasn't. It was not legitimate. It, it's all fibbing. You could do that in the 80s. For those that don't know or, or any listeners that you have that are young enough, you could tell a lie in the 80s without repercussions. There was no way of double-checking. Unfortunately, for those, they don't age well because now we can. 
Oh, yeah, you'll have a video you know, on Facebook. It'll be a, videos of Frank Dukes all over the place uh, in this day and age. Um, well, oh, yeah. Well, looking at more le- legitimate people, I, I, I think this person's more legitimate. But when, when I first saw Above the Law with Steven Seagal, I was like, whoa, what is this? I didn't know anything about a keto. And it was just, mm. yeah, it's such a cool movie. And then, uh, then of course, Hard to Kill. And you're just like, whoa. Those first two, Above the Law and Hard to Kill, were great movies. Oh, yeah. Very good. So good. And I forget the third one was still okay and then and i kind of like because i was i was in the navy so it was kind of interesting what when he had under siege just oh, the first under siege was a good movie yeah, oh yeah Tommy on Lee a Jones, ship I mean, you know it was uh yeah it was a nice setting you know the navy ship and uh you know that was that's a good movie and then i think after that it got all his movies kind of got hokey and just like the story wasn't as good it wasn't as legit yeah and you're 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 your your heart is right. Was he a legitimate Aikido master? Absolutely, most prestigious American Aikido practitioner of all time. Absolutely. Is he a hundred percent whack job? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he and there was a there was a brief period of time where the mixed martial arts community, Anderson Silva and some Brazilians in particular, started giving him way too much credit and started letting him come to their camps and stuff. To the point where uh, in the UFC, and this is for, um, I apologize for all the non-sports loving people, but Anderson Silva, who's the spider, one of the greatest fighters of all time, throws a front kick in a real life fight, a Karate Kid style front kick and knocks a guy out. One of the, another legend knocks him out. Uh, then the pro fight press conference, <laughs> uh, who uh, 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 Steven Seagal, who happened to be there because he was, he went through the camp with he said he invented that kick and taught Anderson <laughs> Silva how to do it. There's no that no uh, age ever in life could in, could a Steven Seagal teach a Anderson Silva how to fight. At no way. And at the end of the day, I don't want to poop on a keto for anybody because it's uh any discipline's a good discipline, but it's the art of pushing people away really hard is what it is. <laughs> and, and he he's another guy where they would go to these demonstrations and you'd see him beat up on like 50 people at once and you'd be like well that guy's badass and then as you get older and you realize well each one of those 50 people are instructed to fall a certain way to make him look badass and <laughs> he might even be able to he's a big guy so he might even be able to hold his own but it certainly wasn't because he was an aikido master that only just gave him a bad fashion sense and an ugly ponytail. <laughs> and now he's a sheriff somewhere. Like he's, he had that reality show where he's a yeah. deputy yeah. sheriff somewhere. And let's, uh, uh, so is Shaquille O'Neal, by the way. So let's call that, uh, let's, let's put quotation marks under sheriff. He yeah, is a yeah. sheriff in some places. So Shaquille O'Neal is a sheriff as well. Yeah. He was a, vol- he was a uh, volunteer sheriff or a deputy sheriff or whatever it is in his town he lives in. Yeah. I mean, he, Shaquille O'Neal is the greatest, one of the greatest, characters we've ever seen he was a 12 year old boy that that stayed 12 this entire life got mega millions and just did fun things interesting yeah yeah uh so martial art we'll finish up with martial arts movies looking back into the uh like 70s i had mentioned there was a mm-hmm. killer be killed there was kill and kill again and i think oh, there, man. there was a bunch of those with the with you know, they use the word kill throughout the title. And I don't even remember who the actors were, but it was just, I mean, those were those HBO Cinemax cable movies oh, yeah. that were. Well, and, and those were, there was a significant amount of those that were, uh, the actors were a variation on Bruce something or something Lee, because no. every, every Chinese and, and Japanese movie maker wanted to capitalize on how popular Bruce Lee was. 
So they put the closest. Well, that's how Jackie Chan was found. He was to replace Bruce Lee. And it turned yeah. out Jackie Chan was just very good at other things. And comedy was more in his wheelhouse. Oh, yeah, he and, was uh, great, man. His uh, his his ability in stunts and just like all the times. I love the blooper reels of his movies where oh, yeah. they, they show. I mean, he pull, pull, they pull it off choreograph-wise where the stunt looks so seamless. And then they go to those bloopers and you're watching the guy like break a leg or he smacks his nose after, a, you know, when he's landing a jump. And, what about uh, and I believe it's the late seventies. What about uh, uh, one of the greatest uh, non martial arts martial arts movies ever? I loved it. Truck driving martial arts is what I call it. Billy Jack. Do you remember Billy Jack? I vaguely, yeah. Oh, Billy Jack was awesome. In one scene, he tells a guy, and he was like a he was at best a shrunken Charles Bronson type guy, and he wasn't a martial arts. It was all all the fights was was a stunt double. It wasn't Billy Jack doing any of them. But at one scene, he goes, I'm going to, he looks at a guy and he goes, I'm going to take this left leg and kick you on the right side of that face. And then he does it. And I was a kid. I was like, well, he told him what he was going to do and he still did it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you look at the truck driving movies. You got, uh, you know, of course, Smokey and the Bandit and Cannibal Run and all those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are the, those are, those are great movies, man. Those are, uh, again, Cannibal Run was a big budget movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then now yeah. I'm seeing in the current pandemic, uh, you know, with uh, less traffic and whatnot, I just saw some kind of post where somebody apparently broke a new record for, for the real Cannonball Run uh, with somebody oh, yeah. traveling cross country. So, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting how, you know, some of those things that we might never know about if it wasn't for social media and the Internet you can, uh, you know, we can get everything now, all this news. And yeah, it's kind of mind boggling. Could you imagine how many people, I mean, because that movie was not just a big budget movie. What at the time of Burt Reynolds, could you imagine, I mean, think about when, when a movie's made today, how many people go out and a, a memes taken from it or a, a TikTok challenge. Could you imagine back in the seventies, how many people were like, well, cool. How awesome would it be to be able to beat the record of driving cross country? How many people were pulled over after that film came out trying to race cross country as fast as they could? Absolutely. But then how many people were in an ambulance? I, I love that. How, <laughs> how everybody had their own like little bit of shtick, you know, Dean Martin and, um, and Sammy Davis Jr. They played in one of the movies that were priest. And, yeah, I, and yeah. I forget what the other one, yeah, you know, what, what the second one and i'll have to go back and revisit those because they were a lot of fun uh, oh yeah absolutely every, even the sequel which is bad is still fun absolutely yeah a lot of fun a lot of fun well get, getting back to the comic book stores i want to go back to that and uh you know it's been fun talking movies but looking at you know the world of comics and now we're seeing a lot of movies that are adapted from comics um, you know, the Marvel movies are amazing. And I know we'd been talking for a while to do like a panel discussion of, of comics and just getting people together. Just, yeah, just, you know, yeah, you know, the right people definitely. But yeah, so, so that never worked out, but we'll do that at some point in the future. But, you know, when we look at these great comics and uh, all these wonderful characters and now, you know, Marvel has just kicked butt tying it all mm -hmm. together, having a cohesive story throughout all these films, um, I mean, briefly, who, who are some, what are some of the favorite Marvel films that you, you're liking nowadays? Being being a diehard comic fan from way back when. Uh, yeah. First, first off, to what you said, how they tied all the films together, I think that's all Kevin Feige. Um, 
And I think that is a product of having one person in charge that knows what he wants to do. Um, and before we jump into the Marvel, I will say, I hope Star Wars does that with John Favreau. I think that's oh, what absolute. Star Wars Favreau is. is a freaking genius. He's um, yeah. Mandalorian is, a, is, a, is great and it's all him. And that's, what's great about it. But um, yeah, but back to the Marvel, uh, you know, I, I, it, I guess it's going to be interesting to see going forward now that Avengers uh, is over. And I think it's going to be a while. In fact, I was—I uh, don't know who it was that said it on one of the Avengers, one of the new will be the Avengers going forward, said that it's going to be a while before they could tell another Avengers story. A lot of it has to happen. Um, you also have like with, with a lot of really big names, you know, no longer Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr. Um, uh, Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth is still going to be around, uh, but you, you, you're losing a lot of star power. Um, and the era, almost irreplaceable star power in Robert Downey Jr. But, yeah, Avengers Endgame, which is uh, one of the most amazing accomplishments I've ever seen in my life in film by tying everything together as best you could. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it was done as best you could. Uh, but that's And it's an amazing movie. But that said, uh, I still think uh, Winter Soldier – Captain America is probably, I think, the best made of all the of the Marvel movie, movies, and for that matter, I think Guardians of the Galaxy one after is probably even probably my second favorite of all the Marvel movies. Yeah, I'd probably put that put that as first, but Winter Soldier, yeah, that stood out. I, I think Winter Soldier is a film that can stand out on its own. A um, small story, and I think that's what yeah, made it so great. Absolutely, absolutely, and it was. Uh, you know, just uh, just the acting, bringing in Bucky was great. Um, yeah, just just everything about it. It's just one of those that could stand. If you hadn't seen any of the other ones, it can stand out on its own as Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, yeah, and Guardians of the Galaxy two by no means was a, a, a bad movie, but it was Guardians of the Galaxy one. I mean, put it this way: the other thing that happens over at Marvel, and this isn't Marvel's doing, but at that old House of the Mouse, um, they tend to make i don't know they i think it's probably like old uh the old stereotype communist russia i think it's uh they rule with an iron fist and james gunn being allowed to slip away after this next guardians movie and him jumping over to dc i hope and with jj abrams now calling the shots at warner brothers i hope that signals a change for the dc movies because james gunn is fantastic and that first guardians movie is about as perfect as a team movie as you get. It may be even better than the the first two Avengers movies. Certainly the second one, but probably the first one as well. Yeah, it just stood out. Uh, his use of music in his films, uh, just pop culture, as far as incorporating all that into the dialogue. Um, his dialogue is just is amazing. Uh, I think it's you know you look at when you look at dialogue and pop culture and things that tie us to those characters. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is another great one as far as you know that type of writing. Um, you know, that's something I need to revisit some of those films and look at that in my own writing because I, I think it's something that definitely connects us to those characters as, as viewers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tarantino, you brought up Tarantino. He's my favorite director of all time. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was my favorite film from last year. Um, he, he's he's amazing. I, I wanted to go back to James Gunn real quick too, though, because um, you know uh, James Gunn did some some 
super early movies that were pretty awesome like uh super did you ever see super super was was fantastic rain wilson i mean it's, rain wilson yeah such a good yeah movie. and that was just one of those where you don't expect you 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 have a character actor you have somebody that's just a regular guy and uh i i think that makes it more extraordinary he's not the buff you know chris hemsworth uh, thor type or your st- uh, stereotypical superhero type uh you know, type uh, persona, you know, here's just a, uh, you know, Dwight Schrute type character, you know, kind of the misfit loner and then, uh, you know, becomes a vigilante. So yeah, he, that, that was amazing. He shot that down in new Orleans. What was it? That was maybe like 2008 or something like that. But even before that, and that was a great movie, but even before that, one of my favorite Nathan Fillion and Slither man, Slither was such a great movie. And that was, that might have been his directorial debut, maybe. I think it, it was been. because he had written the um, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn I think, of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, the Dawn of the Dead remake, which was Zack Snyder Zach directed Snyder that. Launched and, his career. And yeah. that was a great... Now, that was one that was a great remake. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. So well done. Ving Rhames. Uh, and I had never seen the original, but Phil just... Phil Dumphy from uh, Modern Family. I don't remember his name in real life, but Modern Family Dad, which just came to an end. He was the... Uh, uppity rich guy that was banging the girl yep. in all the small that's right that's right and then uh, i forget who the actor was that played the uh the guy across the survivalist across the street in the uh, antique shop but you no know, uh, i don't remember who that but, is either but that guy was great um so you had all these believable you know regular guys that you could believe you're in that situation is uh, it and, and and i want to is it and forgive me if i get them mixed up but i think it's tay diggs i mean at the time i think so yeah a model a, a very prominent black actor and you know just not a guy that you would think would pop up in a horror movie you know uh, good movie great movie actually absolutely yeah i'll have to revisit that one as well um haven't seen that in quite a while but um back to, back to marvel like you talked yeah, about sure, it. yeah sure. i mean marvel marvel and and Speaking of consuming stuff, uh, comic book movies, my my wife and I, we went ahead and rented uh, Birds of Prey this past Saturday night. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Way better than Suicide Squad. All right. Cool. Um, I'll put that on my I, list. My hope for Marvel, it'll be real interesting to see. I mean, obviously, uh, Black Widow was pushed back, and I'm super excited for Black Widow. I think it looks great. Um but it'll be interesting to see what these first non-Spider-Man, non-Avenger-themed films, how they do. Um, now, I know that said Black Widow is Avenger tie-in, but we can't. you can't expect to sustain the level of box office smashes that they do. I mean, at some point, the law of averages tells you that you're going to make less than $500 million at some point. But it, it, it and, and it'll be if they start dipping to that 200 million, 250 million range, that break even range for the films, it'll be real interested to see what happens. I don't think they'll I don't think we'll ever see a day where there's not a superhero movie made. But I do think that COVID-19 aside, I do think that there's going to get to a point to where we'll cut back and they've even already cut back uh, you know for the most part they're starting to space them out more the same thing they're doing with star wars that's probably smart because they had a really hectic man downhill schedule to get to end game it's i think it's the smart play and, and it probably is a testament to feige and 
the who's in charge of the Marvel side mm-hmm. of it yeah. to how they're doing it. Because you could easily put out another four films this year, and they all might flop. You don't know. But you could control it by doing one film a year. Yeah, yeah maybe there's a couple. I, I know they have a... Uh, phase two is pretty ambitious and that would be a that'd be a good group topic but um also also you're looking at on disney plus the uh oh, yeah. I, I think they're still going to do the falcon and the winter soldier i haven't heard anything differing uh but at some point that'll come out and um and then i i don't know if they're going to be bringing back daredevil or any uh, any of those the uh the new york um the, the all the Netflix new york characters first. yeah the hell's Netflix kitchen Marvel. characters yeah, and I do think that I don't know that it's a hundred percent confirmed, but I do think there's strong rumor that um, the the guy I can't remember I'm blanking his name that played Matt Murdock in Daredevil, I think he is going to be Peter Parker's lawyer in the next Spider-Man film as Ooh. Matt Murdock. Oh, okay, all right. So yeah, they're tying it together, you know, in yep. that regard. And It'd then be I... awesome to see uh, uh, the Punisher. That was a very good Punisher that they did in the in the. Netflix verse. Oh, I'd agree. That's that's been the best thus far, and uh, yeah, he did. Uh, what was it John? Uh, what's his last name? Uh, Call him Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For Walking Dead, oh, yeah. like it's like Bernathal or something like that. Yeah, um, but yeah. he he was a great Punisher. Yeah, he he played it well. I think they. I mean, that was that was some violent shit. That was oh, yeah. uh, that yeah. was it. Almost was at times hard to watch. The effects uh, these days are so good that it was like, oh my god, I'm just watching real murders. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, sometimes a little little heavy, but I mean, it fit the comic. The comic was in those regards pretty heavy too. Really violent, well, more yeah, so than a was, lot of others. It was and it wasn't. I mean, people have to remember that Punisher was in the normal Marvel universe and. Yes, he was a murderous um, vigilante, anti-hero, but it still was under the comic code authority, and it still was pretty clean. Mm, it wasn't until it wasn't until Garth Ennis did his Marvel uh, Max imprint run when Frank Castle got really over the top, really, really, really graphic. Um, which, and that's probably what what this Punisher is based on. But the original Punisher, and for the most part, the majority of the 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 library the punisher out there is not that bloody and not that graphic still still interesting but yeah, but yeah. It, you know it's the take to do if you're going to kill drug dealers you might as well do it the way that barenthal did in, in the netflix series yeah, yeah absolutely um looking at you know one thing now that the uh that it'll be interesting to see that the x-men are under the umbrella now um you know not with fox how they'll do that because yeah. some of those films were pretty good, but they just, um, and I enjoyed them, but they didn't, uh, they didn't just have that it factor that this, uh, you know, the, the phase one had. Um, so in all of the X-verse movies, the second X-Men film is a great film. It's a very fine film. Um, the, uh, f- the, the first class, I, uh, love I can't remember. First class. First. I think that has that feel of yeah, the, of the Marvel good. Cinematic Universe. I, I feel and that Days of Future Past wasn't bad. Um, it was okay, but yeah. The, and then the, but the one out of the entire X-verse related that's probably, I think, and, I, and I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say was a, a massive Oscar snub, and that's Logan. Logan was oh, a fantastic. Oh, uh, Logan was excellent. That was a great adaption. Yeah. Yeah, and it really didn't, 
it really didn't do uh, adapt the comic very wasn't true to the story yeah yeah but, but what it was it found it found some inspiration from the the, the old man logan story arc and it made just a, a, a an honest original film that i did not expect out of the mar out of the fox universe films yeah and i guess that's what i'm saying as far as a great i guess it had the heart of the character Oh, and, yeah. and the heart of the story, but bringing it to, to film, that's another one that if someone doesn't watch comics or, I mean, hasn't read comics, could watch that film and that film stands on its own. So I guess it's, you, you know, as far as a great film and just having the heart of the adaption of taking that character, because the old man Logan, see, you know, that was so different. You know, oh, yeah. that was stepping away from that character. I, I guess I could put that in line with, um, like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. That's that, a good. That's a that's a good. Yeah, that's a good comparison there. Yeah, when that came out, there was nothing like it. We're used to Batman being a certain way, and that just that just turned it on its heels. And it was like, well, whoa, wow. And put a put a pin in X Men in terms of film because I think you make a good point. But I am going to shamelessly plug the podcast for a little bit here. But please you do. talked about. We talked about Dark Knight Returns in 1986. Uh, one of the things we do on on with the PC Bombcast or the Pop Culture Bombcast, my we do spinoff shows. Um, the most part, the only two spinoff shows we've done is we have a very in depth breakdown of MTV's The Challenge because it's. I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but if for me it would be MTV's The Challenge. I've seen every season, so the wife and I immediately after we watch the episode on Wednesday night, we go break down it and release that the next day. And then the other thing we do is we have a pop culture comic pod that started as this year in comics. And what we do from time to time is we'll take a single calendar year in comics and break down sales, comic convention, uh, how many there were, um, the, the biggest impact from it, both film and comic book wise. And 1986 was when Dark Knight Returns come out. And that is probably the single greatest year in the history of comics because and in if for no other reason than you could say Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen in the same year. And the two, and, and you said it best. No one in the world, well, except for the British, were writing comics like that. Certainly no one in mainstream comic books were writing that way. And so they brought two British guys over that, well, uh, really put comics, well, not British, but I, but they, and Alan Moore and Frank Miller and really put comics on their head, it turned them on their head. And that was, that I, is... My single favorite miniseries of all time is Dark Knight Returns. My second is being The Watchmen and yeah. then then some others. But you brought up a great point on the X-Men. And we were, I was talking, it would be interesting to see how they go in this post-Avengers world that we live in, in-game world. Who's to say they have to go that way? How come they could do the same thing over again with the X characters and to tell another 10-year story culminating in in a showdown with Apocalypse or Magneto or something like that. I mean, there's a there's a treasure trove of characters that need to be done well. Mm -hmm. And they could also, and there's massive talks that Krasinski is saying yes, and we'll get a better Fantastic Four maybe, and he'll be Reed Richards. That Great would, casting. Oh, no doubt. He'd be a, he'd be an amazing Reed Richards. Wow. Yeah, I haven't... Uh... Haven't heard that, but yeah, that that would be that'd be wonderful. Uh, and yeah, X Men. I mean, you look at that was that was my jam growing up. You know, at one point I had a bunch of Avengers comics I bought from a friend's brother, and then I traded in a, a bunch of those for X Men. 
And, uh, I mean, you had the Hellfire Club. You had uh, the Morlocks were cool. I love oh, yeah. um, one of my favorites that, that comes to mind. And I'm going to have to pull these out and reread them. But it was Uncanny X-Men 190 and 191 where I think it was Kitty Pride uh, was had to marry Caliban. And, uh, you know, or they were kidnapped or there was like an alternate um, so not really an alternate universe, but they kidnapped some of the X-Men and they essentially became Morlocks. And uh, yeah, Storm becomes the queen of the Morlocks. Absolutely. The yeah, Morlocks. She, I think that's where she where she uh, started with the Mohawk. I think yep. that's where she went from regular Storm to more of that uh, punk rock Storm. And then she comes back when they escape and defeats Cyclops to become the leader of the X-Men. That's the right. The first non- you know, yeah, you, my friend, are an encyclopedia of comic book knowledge <laughs> and pop culture knowledge. So that's why, uh, you know, that's why I'm, I love your podcast, especially the year in year in comics. That's one of my favorites. But uh, yeah, with the X Men and then Apocalypse, you have, you know, the Days of the Future Past was uh, just a great in, in in the whole comic reign. You know, this that that cover with Wolverine standing there in the future, and they had had the posters of the X-Men, you know, they're wanted and they had some of them were X'd out and there was a few that were still alive. But maybe one of the most iconic X covers of all time. Absolutely. So yeah, there's a lot, I mean, there's a wealth of material with that. And then, then of course you look at, you, you have X-Force, uh, new mutants. Um, you know, I am X-Factor. I, you know, that was one where, uh, you know, that was more a little, it was somewhat mainstream because they were redoing the X-Men, but it wasn't as popular. I, well, I, don't, it was, I don't recall. It was the the 90s X-Men, and it was Rob Liefeld created, and there's a whole slew of issues that come with that. I will say this, though. Because of un, uh, X-Force and all that stuff, we did get Deadpool. Uh, we did get Cable. We got some good things out of it. But, yeah, that's uh, not a black eye. You can never say it was a black eye because of how popular it was. But it certainly gave us one of the first rock stars comic books and rob liefeld uh todd mcfarland being the other yeah, yeah um but yeah that was uh that it was it was a it was the hip uh a grunge version of the x-men is what it was with, with the uh x-force or the uh x-factor x-force oh X-Force. yeah the x-force and, and that's one thing i'm glad you bring it up and and one thing i'm seeing and now we'll get you know a little bit on topic with the pandemic and you know watching rob liefeld's instagram oh, i boy. mean <laughs> that guy is oh. He's a nut, but uh, yeah, there's no better. There was no better comics than Rob Liefeld. Just follow him, and he'll tell you. Uh, and, and say that again, man. Of course, we're having we're having a few dropouts. But well, I, I was just saying, there was no one more influential than Rob Liefeld oh, in the yeah, history yeah, of comics. And you. you can just ask him; he'll tell you. Yeah, no doubt. But I, I think it is kind of cool. He's, I guess, he's uh, drawing, you know, creating some original art and then donating yeah. it to comic stores to auction off yeah. to help, he, which is seems kind of cool. Seems like a nice he's a gesture. roller coaster for his for his shitty as he is as a person <laughs> he's also sometimes pretty great i mean he's, yeah. yeah he means well sometimes but i think his ego sometimes get in his way he's i think he probably at least once a week watches his old levi 501 button fly commercial and says look how mainstream i was that's how big i was and then then that gets in the way of his truly benevolent part of his personality <laughs> yeah he, it's yeah he's He's a little bizarre, but uh, that's a uh, that's almost like watching life. Uh, Rob Liefeld on Instagram is like uh, the Tiger King, 
it's oh, a, you Joe know, Exotic. Yeah, he that's is, it. He is the Joe Exotic of the comic world, or Joe Exotic is the uh, Rob Liefeld of the Tiger World uh, Independent Rob Zoo. Exotic comic King. That is him. It's Ex- Rob Exotic. Exactly. I mean, we we may have something there. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, uh, no that could doubt. be a, the new smash of the the internet world. But um, yeah, going back, X Force was okay, and then of course that spun from the New Mutants. Um, and I'm excited to see that movie, by the way. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, but uh, but going back to, so X-Factor was that, that spinoff where they basically took the original five X-Men and then they had, uh, you know, then they created like a new team with them. And then that's where Angel became uh, essentially that, I guess, uh, Apocalypse. He origin yeah, took him over to turn him into one of the horsemen, gave it, him his metal wings. Exactly. So he was the angel of death at that point. But uh, so, yeah, that was pretty cool where, you know, Apocalypse, they, uh, you know, he originated there and then they did that horse, uh, that whole storyline, which was pretty Mm -hmm. cool. Um, So, yeah, I dug those. That was one I had. I think I had I still have everyone in that series. And uh, and then it got kind of crazy where they start switching around and then they had Havoc and some some of these other characters and. Yeah, and then when po- comics started getting popular, it started getting harder and harder to follow a single story because yeah. they they found, you know, and that's what led to the 90s bubble bursting. You know, they people in the speculative baseball card market, card market would were expecting millions of dollars returns on their baseball cards and when that didn't start happening, they looked at comic books and were saying, "Well, look at what's going over at comics." So they jumped over there and then the massive appeal of X-Men and the cartoon and, you know, you even had a movie um, and it, they started doing that. And, and Marvel, I mean, you can't fault them. I mean, there's a lot of I do fault them for and what they do. I think Marvel's as great as they are in movies and as great as they are in history of comics. They also do a lot of harm to the comic book industry. But they started, well, look at all these people buying these comics. Let's put seven covers for one comic and let's print it a million times. And I'm talking about X-Men number one. And then oh, let's, yeah, yeah. And let's do four spinoff titles and let's tell one story that flows through all seven titles or four titles and force people to buy them all. And there's people that'll do that. And there were people that were doing that thinking they were about to see something turn into a mint. And then when that didn't happen, they were printing 750,000 copies of a comic and they were selling 50,000 and it almost bankrupted the comic book industry in the nineties. Yeah. That's That's interesting info. Yeah. I think I had, I have a bunch of the X Men number one that the the relaunch and yeah. uh, those Claremont covers. Lee. Yeah, back back in that day. Yeah, I was thinking, oh yeah, this would be great. But then of course, my dumb ass makes the mistake. It, you know, buddy of mine, we went to this little comic. I mean, there was, and back in, in those days, there were all these great little comic book stores. There, I, I live currently. I'm in Overland, and there was uh, man, I can't even think of the name of it. But in the downtown Overland, there was this great store that my uh, grandmother would drive me to and then there was like a a bookstore that was a combination like your traditional bookstore comic store in Florissant and uh, I I, mean I can't remember the name of any of these stores but uh, that one had a lot of back issues and then of course they had the new ones but I I made the mistake a buddy of mine was you know when Spider-Man 300 came out he bought a couple of those and I and at the time it was pretty pricey I think it was like two or three bucks and instead I just I you know I bought a bunch of uh, back issues because I just wanted more story and then now that Spider-Man 300 is one of those comics that is actually worth something and it's just like oh man 
but uh, and and then I buy a whole bunch of the X Men, all the variant covers, and and those are you know worth nothing, just like a lot of the baseball cards. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy, and I think my parents thought that too. I'd get a you know a, a set of baseball cards for Christmas, you know, a top set, or you know, one year the upper deck, nineteen eighty nine, and I think they spent a small fortune on that, and. You know, little did any of us know at the time how how these companies were just mass printing and, you know, overprinting and saturating the market. And it was just kind of kind of crazy. Now, when we look back in the history, you'll see a lot of that in documentaries and uh, and, and, you know, reference to some of that in movies and whatnot. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm glad you find it interesting because that's all the shit that's in my brain. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but yeah, man, I had a, I still have to, I'm in the process of, you know, part of the, the deal with this pandemic, I'm getting my house organized and, uh, you know, at some point I'll have to go through those baseball cards and hockey cards and whatnot and take a look. And yeah, it's just too bad. It's just too bad. You know, I have the space, so I'll, I'll hold on to them, but you know, it's, um, yeah, yeah. It was just one of those things that, uh, you know, our parents thought, wow, this will be some kind of an investment you know, as they grew up, those cards from the fifties, you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, they were a lot. Yeah. yeah no, unfortunately, unfortunately, 89 to 89 being the first year that the upper deck came out, which also has a Griffey rookie, which is probably the most valuable card of that. Uh, 89 to God, 2002 was a bad time to buy baseball cards, like a really bad time. Yeah, no doubt. Unfortunately, I think I think around that time was when I was getting out of baseball cards. So who knows? Maybe I have a few that are. Uh, you never know. That There's a lot something. of big stars that were in the '80s. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. You know, looking at that. We're, so now we talked a lot about pop culture. So you said your comic store was also a baseball card store. Yeah, we had sports cards and sports memorabilia. We had some pretty high end sports memorabilia as well. We right. had, uh, yeah, we had like. Um, Oh God! What's what? What's some thing? George Sisler ball, which was a baseball. George Sisler was most famous, a uh, uh, American League uh, commissioner, and the ball was from about 1918, and it was autographed by him. Uh, we had uh, we had like a poster of uh, Bill Russell shooting a skyhook over uh, 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 Kareem, and they were and they were both autographed. They were, all, I mean, not not Kareem, but uh, um, I don't know why I'm not. I'm drawing a blank on the Will other Chamberlain? great big man. What's that? Will Chamberlain? Yeah, Will Chamberlain. Okay. Yeah, he of he of the uh, Conan fame. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Throwing yeah, a side hook yeah. over him, and it was signed by both of them. Yeah. And that, that we had got that just before Chamberlain had died. So we had a real. In fact, we probably had too much high end sports memorabilia. We probably should have concentrated more on the video games, okay, and less on the sports memorabilia. We probably would have still been around, or at least had a better shot. Well, you know, who in hindsight, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. Were you a sports fan as well growing up? Oh, massive. I'm still a massive sports fan. It's, it's, it's almost, and I've been accused of this by my wife and some friends. It's odd how much of a fan of so many different things I am. Uh, I mean, a diehard Cardinal fan, a San Francisco 49er fan when I was a kid because of the St. Louis Cardinals left, had to pick a team. So still that carry that with me, uh, played sports, love basketball. I mean, it's the only sport that I didn't get into until late in life is hockey. Because when you grew up in Southeast Missouri, other than, occasionally travel up to watch the blues there wasn't a lot of blues coverage down there and then i moved to southwest missouri where they absolutely didn't cover them and it wasn't until i moved here and met my wife that i became a massive blues fan obviously i was a fan but i i would, wouldn't 
you couldn't have quizzed me on anything and I would have known like I do the other sports. Right on. Yeah, it's um, and I know you're coaching as well. Yeah, I coach softball. Uh, in fact, with this whole pandemic, I've been coaching more than I ever have in my past because instead of doing one big weekend practice, I do two or three girls a day, Monday through Thursday, and then a Sunday practice where I break the team up into three. So we stay into that social distancing and 10, 10 or under rule. So okay. we stay down that way. So I've been doing that. I used to coach my oldest daughter's basketball and her softball and even her volleyball. And luckily now it's just softball. And then my daughter plays super competitive, uh, uh, very high level uh, club soccer. Uh, she's, I think her team made it as high as number 23 in the nation. And at nine, that's weird. Uh, Holy smokes. Then, yeah, that's that's it, amazing. And then my really oldest cool. daughter is a club volleyball player, and I don't have to coach that anymore because now it's actual professional coaching. And she's on her high school team. And she used to be my – now we're more – she's the joker to my Batman now that she's a teenager in high school. <laughs> yeah, was she playing uh, – so one of my childhood friends, Doug Wolf, uh, was he coaching her? Did she fill in on one of his teams? No, that'd be my youngest daughter, and it's fun. I forget that you have that connection. Actually, Doug and I uh, are fairly close for as close as you can be to a guy that has coached your, his your daughter, and, and she has played for his team and won a couple of tournaments with them and, and filled in when they need it, and I currently coach his daughter in softball. In fact, he helps me as my assistant on these aforementioned uh, small one-on-one -on -one trainings. He comes out and helps me run those practices. Oh, that is fantastic. I was with him today, him and, 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 and from time to time, uh, you know, I, we hang out with Heather and his wife. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, playing sports growing up, it's, it's funny. One of the, one of my projects with this extra time is I'm transferring all these old tapes, you know, at one point it was VHS and I transferred those to mini DV just to, you know, have a smaller footprint. And I, I mean, in fact, I still think I have the VHS because, you know, I don't want to need that backup, but now I'm digitizing all those and I'm going to uh, eventually encode it all. And it's just a, such a long process, but looking at my days of little league, I was horrible, horrible. But when we talk about the coaching, I enjoyed, um, my nephew was playing on, on some teams and just helping him out. And, and what was cool about that is because I didn't have that knowledge, I had to go back and look at the fundamentals and watch videos and come up with drills and just do these <laughs> things just to help him and his team. Because at one and point, luckily there's an internet now that makes that a lot easier than it used to be. Oh, absolutely. And it was, it was, I tell you what, I had more fun uh, and, and not really being an athlete. I think I'm somewhat athletic, you know, as far as just keeping in shape and whatnot. But uh, as far as playing sports, that really, really wasn't my thing. But, uh, you know, I think in the past few years, just helping him and, and doing that, you know, I wouldn't even, I don't think I had this, I mean, I guess I was coaching. I wouldn't really take the title of coach, but uh, as mm -hmm. far as, you know. Assistant coach. There yeah, you go. or somebody guiding, you know, being that guider type person, you know, I had so much fun. It was, it was so fulfilling. So uh, I, I enjoyed that. That was some of the most fun that I've had in recent times and just, just something that was really, really fulfilling. But, um, you know, we haven't, uh, I know we're, you know, this has gone, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. I know we could probably talk a couple more hours. Uh, we haven't got into music yet and we've enjoyed some concerts, but I think we'll have to save that for another time. I'm having, a, Oh, you know, I guess that gives us a reason to, to do a podcast together again. Absolutely. I'm having such a blast and I know we can talk about eighties movies and, and other topics some more. 
uh, and we will definitely do that again. But anything you want to end on, uh, you know, one last note or any any final thoughts? Well, I, you know, and this is this is certainly not any fault of yours, but when you get me rambling on stuff like that, I'll keep going. But I, we didn't really touch on the podcast too much. Um, I certainly, I will, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell people that yeah, definitely check out, you can search PC Bombcast on any podcast platform, you know, Google's, uh, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You could go to our website, pcbombcast.com. Uh, and you can find us there. It, it will typically, the podcast is me and there's four total hosts. I, I usually get them in conjunction of two or three at a time. It's typically kind of a train wreck when all four of us are on. Uh, but it's always, it's made up of my wife two of my good friends and one friend who's a really good friend wouldn't even know if it wasn't for the podcast he came on as a guest and i needed some help on our first interview we ever did and the first time we ever went on location to interview andy slowy of the uh the st louis improv uh, uh in the central west end and i needed someone to go with me not because i was super nervous but i'd never done it so i was like hey, if i have someone else at least he'll be able to keep spot where i'm talking too much and yeah gotta have your wingman <laughs> yeah, it was it was Tom. We call him the Silver Badger. Silver it was, it Badger, was our, heck yeah. yeah! And he so eventually it got to be where anytime I needed someone on a, on last minute, I'd call him. So he just unofficially one day I just started calling him our fourth host, or well, actually our third host. My wife became the fourth host, and we just thought it was good because it was a sausage fest for the most part. We needed a female <laughs> opinion, but she's probably more crass than the guys, so she's not the best female voice on the show. Uh, but yeah, we. You know, we do it weekly. You brought up earlier the pandemic sessions that we've been doing. I've, I've released probably 10 or 11 episodes in, in the last three weeks because I have the time. And I've said I've stopped the episode numbering. We're up to 204, I believe, 204, 207, somewhere in that range. And I stopped numbering it because until we can all be in the same room together and record an episode, I just don't it's a regular episode. We have zoomed in together. Yeah. It doesn't have the same feel. It does not. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's something about being in the same room, and you know, and we, we've got to mention Bender as well. You know, give him a yeah, shout Bender, out. Bender being the fourth, the other, the first co-host. Uh, he was my first co-host. He was one of the first people I called when I did that started this thing. And so, yeah, just Bender. He has no nickname, no gimmick. He's just Bender. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, so and and when, once we get back to all of us in the same room, then we'll start the normal normal norm, numbering again. But until then. I mean, I've done episodes by myself during this pandemic session, and those thankfully aren't any longer than 30 minutes. But trust me, I could talk for two hours by myself if I needed to. And you're killing it, man. I love it. Uh, and I'm I'm very, uh, you know, thankful of, you know, had the invite to come down to the bomb shelter and drink some beer. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. You guys are into craft brew. Uh, of course, you aforementioned music movies comics sports it's just uh yeah it's a it's a great show one of my favorite pop culture shows and uh i have to get better at uh when i'm seeing the episodes helping share those on social media but i appreciate anything we do and i do want to end there i don't know when the next i know the next episode at least will be uh thursday morning because we watch the challenge tomorrow night but i can tell you this it might be by myself but there will be a saturday morning episode because of I want to touch music for a brief second before we sign off. Cause yeah, I've got to go upstairs before the wife yells at me <laughs> is, is Friday night. I, I just switched over to iPhone. Me and the family all switched to iPhone. I was a, I was an Android guy for the last nine years, eight years. And with 
a new iPhone, you get Apple TV for one year for free. This Ooh. Friday night, my absolute favorite band in the history of music is the Beastie Boys. And the documentary debuts Friday night on Apple TV. So Whoa. I will be, no one call me on Friday night. Don't tweet <laughs> me. Don't do anything. I'm watching that. And then Saturday morning, I will do an episode about it. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I will help you promote that episode, and then the next time we talk, we'll we will incorporate the Beastie Boys into the conversation. Oh, absolutely. I, I would love that. I could. T- I've, I've read uh, a shit ton of their books, and I've been to the concerts, and I've watched. I mean, I can go all day over the Beastie Boys. Right, I we'll, love it. We'll table that. We'll talk about that soon. It gives us something to uh, you know in our back pocket. So, thank you, my friend. You enjoy the time with the family, and uh, much love to you. And I love talking to you, Ken. You're going to come back on our episode soon, too, my man. I look forward to it. Thanks, buddy. I'll get my roof down. I'll put my roof down. I'll get your roof down.